Welcome to SolkanaCast, two broads talking broadly about health, the physical, the emotional, the nitty-gritty, and the fun. Real thoughts on real health. The information provided within this podcast is not designed to and does not provide medical advice, professional diagnosis, opinion, treatment, or services to you or any other individual and is intended for general information for educational purposes only. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Soconicast. This is Season 2, Episode 3, and with you, as always, is your host <laughs> with the most, Hannah Whitevin, and your host with the moster, Ooh. Lucia Howley. Hey there. Welcome, welcome. Oh, we're super excited because today we're going to be interviewing Wendy Hurd, and she's like a pro extraordinaire in all things, but especially in the body. So we're really excited to see her. People pay me to touch their bodies. Yes. (laughs) There she is. (laughs) What a dream job. There she is. Dr. Wendy Hurd in the house. Um, Before we get into it, though, let's check in about our week. Lucia, how was your week? My week was so good. No complaints whatsoever. Bopping around my house, was able to get back to the gym, get some workouts in. It's a pretty warm week, so I was sweating up a storm. I didn't hate it. How about you? Well, I have a thing in my throat. But, okay. What kind of a thing? <laughs> it's like a scratchy thing. Do you want to qualify that? No, it's scratchy. My throat is scratchy. Okay. And I hate that because the summer cold is the worst kind of cold in the world because you want to be just, in the summer, you just want to be chilling with no problems. You want to be no worries. True. Hakuna Matata. But that's not what's happening. Instead, I'm like a little bit scratchy. Uh, but I've been tackling it through kombucha awesome and I've been taking shots of apple cider vinegar that's really good it's, it makes my stomach feel a little weird yeah it's going to but it's okay it's yeah. like it's just temporary like I take it and then I stand there for like three minutes just checking and make sure everything <laughs> is okay in my body but it feels like I, it feels like it's doing something it is that's definitely, you know, taking a shot of apple cider vinegar, yeah, it's going to help increase stomach acid, which is going to be great to make sure you're digesting your food to help pull all the good nutrients to keep you feeling good, but also it's giving you digestive enzymes, some probiotic, and it just makes your stomach burn, so you know. Yeah, it feels horrible. It feels horrible. Why not? But it feels horrible like it's killing all the things. Good. So, yep. um, did you do your challenge last week? I did. Did I ever? Yeah, it was really fun. So, to remind people, my challenge from Hannah was to find, we were talking about fascia, um, so the challenge was to find some kind of sore or tight part of my body to apply a pretty intense pressure and then to hold that pressure, kind of using my thumb, digging into that, or using a lacrosse ball, holding that pressure for at least a minute or two, which is maybe different than just kind of rubbing it out and then moving on. So I was sitting down, I was watching an episode or maybe two or maybe three of Orange is a New Black. Oh. Finally finished it. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, Yeah, yeah, it'd love to be another episode. How Uh, about that last episode, huh? Woof. Wow. Yeah. Last scene? Yeah. It was intense. So it was very traumatic, and I was all up in arms, and I was holding my, um, my delt, right? Yes. What are you doing? My trap. (laughs) I was like, what are you poking? (laughs) These. What are these? What's this called? I do food. My trap. My trap. My trap was my left. I'm I'm looking at my right. But my left trap was really tight last week. 
it can kind of it can tend to be really tight so I was holding on to it getting stressed out by the episode and then by the end of the episode I held on to it tight enough that it actually felt looser so uh thank you for that challenge you're welcome um I forgot what my challenge was your challenge was to write down the different fats and the specifically the different processed fats that you were encountering oh yeah okay 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 so I, I forgot about my challenge because I did it the, like the very first day. So we went out to dinner, and I asked them what they used. And no surprise, <laughs> they said they used a mixture of vegetable oils. What a cop-out. Mm-hmm. And also truth, yeah. too. Uh, and then I went, out to, I, I went out to dinner twice in the last week. And the other time, they said they used rice oil. Huh. So... Huh. Uh, anyway, the one where they said they use a mixture of, of vegetable oils, I ended up ordering a, a goddamn salad. <laughs> so I was like, I remember what Lucia said. You're not supposed to do that. <laughs> I want to feel okay. No yeah. weird mix. So, and then it, from there, I've been exclusively cooking with bacon fat all week. Good. So I'm going to blame you if I'm like really bloated by the end of the month. <laughs> you might feel bloated from those processed oils. I don't know about bacon. Fat. Yeah, no, I, I feel, feel pretty, good. pretty good. I feel pretty good. It tastes really, really good. Yeah, uh, I've been collecting it in a can, <laughs> like my mom used to do. Yeah, it's great. Throwback. It's really good. Okay, good job on your challenge. I'm, All right, I'm proud of you. Thank you. Okay, let's get started on this week's episode. Uh, hi, hi, Wendy. Hi, Hannah. Oh man, yes, we have Dr. Wendy Hurd in the house. She, I've known Wendy for a long time, like. Six years? We both started CrossFitting at, at the, the same, same time. Yeah, yeah, so we've known each other for about six years. And Wendy has helped me through all my aches and pains over the course of my life. I just text her like, ow, this thing hurts. And she's like, okay, let me see it or do this or try this or how does this feel? So she's my body guru. You're the perfect patient, so you make it easy. Oh, thanks, Aww. Wendy. <laughs> I like to be told what to do. Um, So, okay, Wendy, why don't you tell us about yourself? Like, what do you do? What's your job? What's your official title? My job is confusing to most people. If if you look me up in the Mayo Quarterly, uh, it says physical therapy researcher. Um, I am a physical therapist. I'm a board-certified sports specialist. I have a doctorate in biomechanics. So right now what I'm doing is I am the lab manager, the site lab manager of our... uh, biomechanics lab at Mayo Clinic Square in Minneapolis. Which is where we are right now. It's kind of cool. Recording live from this giant conference room that's for the coaches, right? Yeah. For Lynx coaches and Timberwolves coaches. It's very cool. It's very official and there are very large photos. Yeah, maybe you can take pictures of the tour later. Probably what most people don't appreciate right away is how tall the doors are. Oh, my God. (laughs) Because they're made for basketball basketball players. They're literally eight feet tall. They are. They really are. That's amazing. Can you have a crush on the door? Because I have a crush on that door. (laughs) We'll get pictures of you in front of it later so people can appreciate just how tall they are. Yeah, so right now I've been working for a year with this lab group, um, and it's a brand-new lab group. We've been working on building the lab here. I've been writing grants. Um, down the road, I'll be more patient assessment, so 3D biomechanics assessment of patients. Whoa. And are you, when you say patients, do you primarily mean like professional athletes? Or is it a combination? Like, do regular yeah. people come here? This facility is for regular people, but Mayo Clinic has a working relationship with the Lynx and the Timberwolves, uh, a little bit closer with the Lynx because we provide athletic training services for them. 
very excited moving forward. We're probably going to be doing testing with the Timberwolves before this next season. Ooh. Yeah, we got it's it's very exciting. We got to do that with the Lynx too. Um, but the services are available for all people. Right. Okay. So we, I could come here and just be like, my knee is hurting. Yes. Can you help me rehab my knee? Well, you would probably email me, but yeah, I would just because I because I have no self control. Could one? I'm like, I know it's midnight, Wendy, but something hurts. Can you fix it? But one could uh, call up and make an appointment. Yeah, it's open for everybody. Do you find that uh, you mostly see people who are like living an athletic lifestyle, or do you see more people who are? living an everyday sort of mixture of sedentary and mildly active the, me personally or this yeah clinic? you personally uh, me personally right now it's athletic um, this facility itself is really targeted to sports injuries having said that you get a broad range uh, we have people from the u.s ski team who travel here to be seen you might have a weekend warrior you might have a uh, grandpa or grandma who like to play golf so right. it, it okay. encompasses a broad spectrum okay it's not just the pros. Not just the pros, but I think one of the important lessons I've learned over my career is you treat everybody like a pro. Yeah. You don't treat anybody differently because of what they do or who their name is. Right. That's great. That's a great attitude to take. Yeah. Um, so if you, if you could name like a couple of things that influenced you or got you interested in doing this job, I know you've been doing it for a long time, but what kind of sparked your interest? For me, I started out in college as a secondary math education major, and I remember one day waiting for the professor. It was like a light bulb going off. I don't fit in here. Right. I, I, I like math. I like teaching, but I don't fit. So I went home that summer, and I volunteered at a PT clinic all summer, and I fell in love with it. I just I fell in love with the coworkers. I fell in love with the patients, and I just felt like it was my calling. And then as a student in physical therapy school, I had the chance to do an internship at the Houston Clinic in Columbus, Georgia. And that was truly the first sports medicine clinic, the first famous sports medicine clinic in the United States. And I was good at it. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, so it just kind of seemed like it was my calling and I was very lucky to find my path. Yeah, Um, the sports medicine is kind of like a baby Uh, science in a lot of ways, right? I mean, it hasn't been a very long time that people have invested in sports medicine or that it's been in a really active field. So, like, what what have you noticed has changed the most in your time doing this? Right, that's a great question, and and it's a very accurate observation. While they've been doing anterior cruciate ligament surgeries for a couple hundred of years, the techniques that you see today, the rehab that you see today, are only a couple of decades old. Right, because now people mm-hmm. can get their ACL replaced and be active again a few weeks later, right? They can be, <laughs> but what is changing is the research and the science supporting okay, our sure. choices. We found out the, that what we were doing a couple of decades ago had long-term repercussions for our patients. And so we constantly evolve based on the most up-to-date science and evidence. And unfortunately, we're in the kind of field where we work with humans we don't often find out this information until after the fact, right, unfortunately. Right, right. And, and so we're kind of chasing our tail sometimes. But I love the science, the evidence that's guiding our practice at this point in time. Yeah. And the kind of research that you do, are you like actively working with uh, 
Uh, like, are you actively working with like an ACL from a cadaver and trying to figure that out, or are you more right. working on like current living subjects? <laughs> that, that's a great question. My lab group, they're currently doing a cadaveric study, looking okay. at the, they built a robot and they're looking at forces and movements that create the ACL rupture. Me personally, I, I am an expert in the human body. I, I work with living people. Right, right, right. I, I'll study everything from techniques to prevent injury uh, I'll look at the biomechanics of an injured person, and then I'll try to create, based on the information, better rehab techniques to get you back to sport and activities. That's great. And then once you come up with those rehab techniques, do you usually have to like publish a paper? or Because I, I just wonder how it works for someone who's working right. in like an active field that needs that information needs to be spread really quickly. Yeah, so writing is a huge part of what I do. Everything from grant proposals to generate the funding to writing the manuscripts up. And the manuscripts, after you do a study, you have to disseminate the results. You might do that at a professional conference, but mostly in journals. And writing next to patient care is probably what I do best and I enjoy the most. How do you even do that when, I mean, I feel like if I were to describe a physical therapy exercise, it would sound like nonsense. Do you do a lot of like videos, like how do you how do you do that? You've just gotten so good at it. I my personal writing style is very simple and clear, and it's very easy for me to describe exercises. But of course, complementing that with photos, mm-hmm. with technology, uh, personalities, and accessibility, the physical therapists are trending towards videos. Right. The home exercise program that you're given is accessible through an app. Sure. So it's moving forward, but I can write and describe anything for a journal. Sure. And especially because you're working, I mean, other people that are reading it know the words you're talking about. So you don't have to say, you don't have to skirt around the word external rotation. You can just talk about it. Right. Exactly. Although what I'm trying to do more is writing for yoga journals because Uh that's my passion. Mm -hmm. And so I'm trying to write for the lay person, the non-scientific person. And that's been a challenge. Yeah. So you're both a yogi and a crossfitter and a cyclist. Yes. <laughs> and like a great dog walker. I'm the best dog walker. <laughs> best dog walker. And uh, just a great all-around person. But yeah, that's besides you. the point. From your yoga experience, yeah. I know you recently had an article that was published online yeah. about like common injuries that yogis have. What do you notice as the biggest things that yogis deal with physically, uh, right. the, their biggest areas of weakness? Well, so yogis don't get uh, injuries from a single posture or a single incident. It's the repetition of postures over time. A lot of what we'll see is anterior shoulder pain or biceps pain, similar to what you've had because of the chaturanga, the low push-up. You'll see that. You see a lot of hip impingement, which is what that article was about because of the extreme motions the hip goes through in yoga. And you can get some low back pain because of the repeated forward bending and backward bending. Mm -hmm. Right. And then for CrossFitters, what, what do you normally see there? Yeah, it, it's the shoulder pain, and that's because of the, the way we've evolved. The shoulders were not designed to be loaded, and we do so much loading overhead with the shoulder, both with lifting and then the distraction of the shoulder joint when we hang or swing from a bar. So you get uh, labrum injuries, bicep injuries, little rotator cuff tendinitis. Right. Mm-hmm. And then mechanical low back pain from all the lifting off the floor, typically done with bad mechanics, poor mechanics. Right, right. People who are continuing uh, continuing to repeat a movement, and it's breaking yes. down as they do right. it. Correct. Yeah. So it's not just about doing something poorly one time. 
It's repeatedly doing it poorly over time. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Let me ask you something very specific. <laughs> okay, this is something I've been wondering about as a coach and as somebody who studies Olympic lifting and CrossFit but um, looks at different disciplines. There is this debate in, in or more of a conversation in the Olympic weightlifting world and in CrossFit now about um, like internal versus external rotation in the overhead position. Mm-hmm. So like if you have your a bar overhead, is it better to be slightly internally rotated like on your humerus or to focus more on external rotation and avoid any internal rotation or is there like a sweet spot? Okay, so I'm thank God we're on the radio because people can't see what I'm doing <laughs> right I now. Like yep. it. Yeah, um, overhead. Yep. So first of all, I'm going to be saying based on just my observational opinion, the scientist in me would love to just do a study and, mm-hmm. and look at what's happening. Yeah. Based on my knowledge of anatomy, biomechanics, and the sport, I, and having worked with my coaches here, um, they like the external rotation locked out position. The reason I would say that, well, thinking about this this is internal rotation overhead yeah that's the locked out position that most of them like theoretically if you're internally rotating your arm overhead you could impinge your rotator cuff in that position sure theoretically whereas external rotation might not be as locked out but is it theoretically a safer mm-hmm. position for you right that's what I wonder because when like if I see somebody try to catch a snatch for mm-hmm. example and they're in a fully externally rotated position they're more likely to lose that bar absolutely backward and then if you lose it backward, you have no mobility in your external yeah. rotation. For me, what I, I tend to see as contributing to injury is the path of motion okay. where you're getting impingement um, or you're really shrugging that shoulder overhead. When we're, what we're kind of talking about with this internal rotation of the bar overhead, it's almost isometric or it's a pseudo-isometric yeah. contraction. And I don't think I've ever had pain doing that or had patients complain of pain doing that it's getting the bar up there it's that one pinch through internal yes rotation. once you're up there locking it out with internal rotation does not seem in my mind to be a bad position right okay <clears throat> and uh, what I've noticed is that people who are you know professionals and work on their mobility all the time they have great internal rotation and external rotation Correct. so it's not a problem for them to move through that position Correct. or hold a bar in internal Correct. rotation mm-hmm. So uh, the common athlete, though, are that is, do you see most people, are they lacking internal, are they lacking external, or a little bit of both? You can let both. The most common direction we lose motion is internal rotation, uh-huh. and that is uh, losing that motion becomes from tightness, which changes the position of the shoulder. So the shoulder being a ball and socket joint, we're all sitting at a desk, all this stuff, it changes our alignment, our right. soft tissue mobility. And so loss of that internal rotation is a significant factor contributing to impingement, and it will affect our ability to pull that bar up in a direct path of motion. Can you explain, like, for in a layperson's terms, like, why? Because I feel like this it's sort of counterintuitive when you think about it. If someone is sitting in internal rotation, like, in a hunched forward mm-hmm. position all day, why is it then they have a hard time in an internal rotated position? Right. Because then, uh, so your humerus the capsule around the humerus is what tends to be tight and your shoulder blades slide around your rib cage and everything comes forward Um, and when you actually stabilize it put it back in that neutral position it's become tightened it's uncomfortable in the where it should be correct 
Um, it is some people, well, let me back up. Everyone is unique. Uh, we tend right. to generalize folks, but you have to respect your own body type. Some people are tight in all planes of motion, uh, and but the overwhelming majority of us lose internal rotation range of motion. I mean, that's definitely just anecdotally. What I see in the gym yeah. is is people come in with no external er, no internal rotation, yeah. like at, at the age of 21, 22. Mm. My even my youngest athletes have terrible internal rotator. Yeah, and then based on what sports you've done, like overhead athletes get an adaptive shift in their shoulder motion, so they get this cocking motion, so they get extra external rotation uh -huh. and adaptively shorten going into internal rotation range of motion. Yeah, so that would be more like baseball people. Softball, and a little bit, yeah. Yeah, what do, you see in, what do you see in softball pitchers? Softball pitchers, you actually get uh, global hypermobility because they're doing a circumferential pitching motion. Yeah. Uh, they don't have an adaptive shift. You do see in the positional athletes an adaptive shift like in baseball. But softball, they have full flexion, they have a lot of external rotation, and they have full internal rotation. Yeah, until they get older. Until, yeah, and then, <laughs> and then they pick up CrossFit and they give the uh -oh. physical therapist nightmares. Yeah, uh, yeah, we'll see. oh my God, I can't <laughs> even tell you. So when people, and maybe this is too general, but when people are coming in and they're having showing these types of injuries or pre-injury, if you will, and you're prescribing or offering suggestions on how to remobilize, is there a certain, is there like a sweet spot for how they should be approaching that? How many minutes a day, an hour a day? Yeah, so if someone is trying to actually improve their mobility, then they have to work on it four or five days a week. If you're trying to warm up or cool down, then that's totally different but if you're trying to improve your flexibility you have to do it frequently and I like to have folks do it for small chunks of time uh, especially if you're my patient say you've had shoulder surgery I'd want you to work on your shoulder range of motion for five minutes four or five times a day and spread out through the day now if you did 30 minutes of stretching at one chunk then you have 23 hours and 30 minutes a day where you're tight that is completely illogical so I the healthy athlete, I'd want you to do it after your workout or when you're warmed up to get the most out of it. A combination of mobility with a lacrosse ball, foam roller, and active and static stretching four to five times a week. Great. So do some mobility is yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. It sounds like an echo chamber. <laughs> you know, that the crazy thing is I love it when people come to yoga. But if you're coming to yoga to get flexible and you come to class one day a week, I'm like, I'm sorry, that's not going to do a thing for you. Right. Or if you come to yoga and you're actually trying to power your way through it versus yeah. experiencing some of the slower yeah. elements that will yeah. relax you. Yeah, there's actually a physiologic phenomenon um, called reciprocal inhibition. Uh, well, if you stretch your hamstrings to the point where it hurts, your muscle will contract in an effort to protect itself. Right. And so that's why if you're doing static stretching, it needs to be gentle. And you, slow yeah. and take your time. You can't be aggressive. It's the exact opposite mindset of mm -hmm. CrossFit. Yeah, and, <laughs> you know, we have a lot of CrossFit athletes who will, uh, like we, had, we got a question from an online athlete who I know has yeah. shoulder issues, which was like, what can I do to fix it? But what I see is that I will offer suggestions like that where it's like, well, you need to mobilize, and you need to mobilize frequently, and you need to get make it a relaxed experience where you're slowly easing in and there's just like 
people want a quick fix. Yeah, yeah that's her society. Yeah. Um, mm. Also, I mean, two things. Stretching isn't sexy. No. <laughs> I mean, you don't get to put your numbers up on the board. You don't get to brag about it. But the end result is sexy. I mean, nobody wants to wake up 80 years old shuffling down the road with rounded spine. No. We want to move well. And if you want to move well, it's a combination of your body systems, but it really starts with your mobility. Yeah, and as someone who's worked with you before on, you know, two very distinct body parts that have injured me, I know that it takes a lot of work and a lot of slow consistency. Well, that's my approach. You know, there, there are therapists who have different approaches. I don't give you the quick fix. Right. And if that's what you want, I'm not your therapist, but I'm trying to keep you better for the long term. I, I don't offer quick fixes. Yeah. Do you notice that um, most people take, it takes like an injury or some, something to get them to like revisit a movement pattern or like, what do you, what do you notice is the trend for athletes that, um, get injured like what what changes in their mindset well if I see an injured patient um, I give them the mental mindset that we're going to use this as a chance to get better like I remember with you we really try to recreate your squat yeah and it's totally worked by the yeah. way and I've PR'd my squat twice since then I mean I've done it for myself all summer yeah. not be, it's very hard to take steps backwards uh, to get better at a movement pattern when you can do an overhead squat at say 120 to just do a body weight squat with perfect technique. So the injury is a great chance to say, we're gonna learn from this. Mm-hmm. We're gonna get better because of this. That's why I don't pull athletes out of CrossFit. We work around an injury and we work on getting back better than before the injury. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I have really appreciated about knowing you is that I feel like you've given me a lot of tools as a coach to help people mobilize before class and get really warm, feel like they're accessing certain muscles. Mm-hmm. If you were to give to somebody who's maybe working out on their own, like what, what would be the, a couple of things that they could tackle before a workout to make sure that they were fully prepared to keep yeah. their body safe? So if we're doing uh, something that involves overhead work with the shoulders, I'm a big fan of external rotation to uh, fire the posterior rotator cuff. So sideline position is the best position for activating the cuff. Internal rotation stretching to make sure you've got that full range of motion. Just by doing a few exercises, you turn the muscles on and you can get full recruitment. Um, And of course, we want to work through full range of motion. And with the hips, I really like the clamshell, kind of like the rotator cuff exercise, but for the hip. We do a lot of clamshells. Yeah, and so it it gets mobility, gets muscle activation, and bridge are nice for that. Um, Balancing exercises before a workout are stimulating to the nervous system, so it heightens the awareness, wakes the muscles and the neuromuscular system up. You introduced me to balancing exercises when I was recovering from my ankle injury, and I bring them, I use them all the time in warm-ups now, and it is amazing how poor people how poor people's balance is. Yeah. Like people have terrible balance and they get so frustrated by it. Well, that's why you, <laughs> and you shouldn't. Uh, right. I mean, you shouldn't be frustrated, but until we do something, we don't realize whether we struggle with it or not. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, I, I kind of posted about this a little bit earlier in the summer on Facebook, exploring activities, exploring movements and skills. If you don't keep pushing your physical boundaries, your world shrinks and then you don't realize how restricted you've become. Right. 
Um, so I know that you've personally hit like a really good balance in terms of your athleticism, like you're cycling, you're doing yoga, you're doing CrossFit a couple times a week. When when you um, see people who do primarily just CrossFit, because that's like a lot of our yeah. our athletes, what do you think that CrossFit is missing, or that that pattern is missing? That would be a, a you know what what what's lacking there? I really do think uh, it's the mindfulness with how we do things. It's one of my favorite things about yoga and why I will always do yoga. Yoga brings an awareness to my breath, how I'm moving, how I'm feeling, whereas in CrossFit we just kind of bulldoze our way through mm -hmm. things. You know, a Metcon is the worst time to have body awareness and the right. quality of movement. Because <laughs> you're just um, like, one, two, yeah. get the reps done. Yeah, you know, I think cr CrossFit does so many great things and that's why I still do it. You get your cardio, you get your anaerobic, you get uh, skills. Probably balance is another thing that you don't get with it. Uh, I mean, a little bit with pixels. Yeah, like a lot of lateral stuff is missing, yeah. especially if you're not strong enough to do it during yeah. the workout. Well, that's actually, you introduced a great concept. So multi-planar movements. Yeah. You know, so diagonals, rotations, Right, there's not a lot like of side-to-side -side shuffling in CrossFit. No, so, so that's a great concept. But to me, all the, of all the things I do, I think we're lacking the mindfulness with how we approach CrossFit. And do you, are you able to take that into your practice now that you have, knowing that that is missing? Do you, when you're doing something yeah. like Nancy, which is five rounds of 15 overhead squats and 400 meter run. My favorite workout. Yeah, you love that. <laughs> I love it. Do you approach it with some sort of like mindfulness or do you, do you just come up, come in with a plan and hope for the best? Like that's kind of what I do is come up with a plan and just kind of gut it out. Well, I, I do have an awareness of my breath, and it's one of the things I'll teach CrossFitters the benefit of yoga. Like, if you go to the point you lose your breath, it means you've gone anaerobic. Right. And it takes forever to recover from that. Yeah. So I use my breath to guide my intensity. One of the things I've done now that I'm back in the gym, a CrossFit gym, I go to an early morning workout. And I love it because there are no times on the board. It really does let me do my workout and yeah, eliminates my competitiveness. I do have to check my ego at the door a little bit more because I don't have my best workouts at 6.30 in the morning. Right? <laughs> Who does? So I have to scale more workouts, but that's me respecting where I am at that point in time. Yeah. So. I find I, it's hard to do once you've hit the point where you can achieve something. Yeah. It's hard to not want to just do that thing at that level every day. Well, I... I can't do that with Nancy. Like, uh, no. <laughs> I, I don't. For me to drop the weight or to break a set, uh, I just I'll fight it. Right. I will fight it till the end. Yeah. Okay. I want to shift gears just a little bit. For you, uh, you had some problems with your neck, and you yeah. still do. Yeah. Um, like, I, I can't remember if it was an injury or if it was just like over time. No, it was a very bad injury. Okay. I had a herniated disc C7, right. and I lost most of the extensor strength of my left arm. Can you tell us about your personal recovery process yeah. and like some of the things that you struggled with and some of the things that helped you? Yeah, so my injury happened during a thruster workout. It was behind the neck, or well, not behind the neck, but repeated overhead very fast, so I know I had poor movement quality. And it was hands down the worst injury I've ever had. It, and I knew the consequences, so I was either going to have to take immaculate care of this injury or have a life-altering surgery and I would never be the same after the surgery so I took a good two months off of all physical activity yoga biking everything because that disc had to get centralized and it took me a year to get my strength back and I'll never have full strength back in that arm so 
for me, coming to grips with not being able to do overhead lifting for that long was very humbling. I was in the best shape of my life when that injury happened. Yeah. And so I changed my personality for the two months I couldn't work out. It was just devastating. And you were actually integral for getting me back. You worked with me one-on-one, -on -one, letting me do workouts and, and ease back into the gym slowly. But it taught me that, you know what, I'm lucky. I, it could have been worse. And if I can't do 150-pound jerks, but I can do all these other things, then I'm lucky. Right, right. So there are things I can't do, but rather than focus on that, I focus on what I can do, and I try to respect what I need to modify long-term so I can continue to be active rather than make this injury worse. Yeah, I think that's really smart. Um, and when you, when you think about athletes, everyday athletes, uh, versus like obviously professional athletes have a whole nother level of things that they deal with, but just people who work out every day or, or trying to achieve something athletic, do you see injury as like something to be an expected part of your mm. athletic career? Or is it something you are, should be actively trying to prevent or learn from? Like how do you, what do you see uh, right. in that way? So I think we can be intelligent about what we do and reduce most of our risks. But if you are active, you're going to sustain some kind of injury. Now there are a spectrum of injuries. You could have patellofemoral pain. You could have rotator cuff tendonitis. I consider that quite minor, mm -hmm. even though it can have a significant impact on an athlete's life. Achilles tendon rupture, rotator cuff tear, herniated disc that require surgical intervention, those are bigger deals. And while some accidents happen, the majority of them we can prevent. But even if you did get hurt, uh, we can fix you and get you back to sports. Yeah, because one of the things that I feel like I struggle with as a coach is that I have athletes who come in and they go full on right away. Which even, is not smart. Right, it, you know, it doesn't really matter what I say. Right. They do want to approach it. And I understand that because I did the same thing. I came in full force. And then when they do get an injury, it becomes like mentally debilitating for them. Like they just think, well, I can't do this anymore. I, I, I never thought I would get injured doing CrossFit. I shouldn't do this. And my response is always like, you know, this is just part of your process. You're going to be doing this. If you're going to want to be an athlete for your life, there's going to be things that come up. I, in the six years I've done it, I've had, you know, tendinosis of the ankle. I, I had a rotator tough tear coming into CrossFit. So have dealt with a lot of stuff from that and a herniated low back. Lots of things have happened to me as a result of doing lots of weightlifting. <laughs> and yet you're probably as healthy now as you've ever been. Right, because I've been able to have a yeah. team that has helped me work through it. So most of us get injured because of our egos and we're stubborn. I, my neck injury was my own fault. It was nobody else's. And if you can use that injury as an opportunity for self-reflection and say, okay, how did this happen? What can I learn from it? But it has to be the mental approach, not that your team influences your coach but your medical staff too yeah and again that's it's why i will tell people you should still be doing stuff it's very rare i pull an athlete out of the gym completely um, but it, it really does depend on your psychological attitude now if you have someone that had not been physically active at all they come in start working out and get hurt that's a hard sell it is really a hard sell that's a hard sell but the the long-term negative aspects of an injury in CrossFit far outweigh sitting on your couch watching soap operas and eating Cheetos. Right. Right? Yes. Yeah. Even though you may be dealing with navigating through an injury, 
you are being active. Yeah. Your body is more capable of dealing with trauma, even though it might not feel right. like it. Mm-hmm. I do have to say that, you know, cr- our body changes as we age. And so how we tolerate CrossFit in our 20s might not be how we tolerate it in our 40s or 50s. And it might not speak to us where we are at that point in time. So I was doing half marathons 10 years ago. Running does not speak to me anymore. So I cycle. So your own personal interest may evolve. So the injured athlete may kind of realize, you know, I went to CrossFit for the wrong reasons. Maybe this isn't for me. And there's nothing wrong with that. But you've got to find out what does work for both your body and your psyche. Yeah, and how? what can you do that will give you the ability to balance? Correct. Because if you're just coming in and going full force and you, you can't find any other gear, yeah. then it might not be the best sport for you to do. Yeah, the other thing, you know, well, it's nice to be able to do CrossFit three, four, five times a week. Not everybody can do that. And so if you just go to the gym one or two times a week, you've got to complement that with other activities. Right, right. I have another question for you <laughs> that is very specific. I just get so excited about body stuff. Um, last week we talked about fascia on our uh, fats and fascia episode, and I, I have very like limited, just basic knowledge of fascia because it seems like the science is sort of new anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess my question is, like, in terms of your uh, your work on injury and rehabilitation. What can people do to pre- like better prepare their bodies to recover from trauma quicker in terms of like w- just dealing with their fascia and dealing with their muscular structure? Wow. <laughs> too uh, much? <laughs> no, it's never too much. So fascia is something that evokes a lot of opinions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not as much science, but a lot of very strong opinions. Some will even tell you the fascial system is its own separate system right. in the body. Basically, it's this very firm, hard, non-contractile connective tissue. There are actually huge bands, huge sheets of it throughout the body. You know, we tend to think of the IT band as having a lot of fascia, but there are sheaths of fascia, and when they're rigid or stuck, it, it prevents healthy movement from going on. And there are actually some healthcare professionals who do nothing but fascial work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And while I respect that and I appreciate the role of fascia, I don't tend to focus on it as okay. its own specific unit. Now, what I will say, if you have uh, plantar fasciitis, right, it's impossible to try to have healthy tissue in your foot when the rest of your body is not healthy tissue. So you have to drink lots of water. Mm-hmm. You have to eat healthy food. You have to get sleep. You have to have a whole body that has healthy tissue rather than focusing on one small segment of your body in terms of having healthy tissue. That is it's something we talked about on last week's episode. I <laughs> People are usually trying to fix a local problem when really yeah. the problem is global. Yeah, I mean, you do have to prioritize your needs list. Like, you can't just drink water and not do your plantar fascia exercises. But you're going to have the best results if you can treat yourself as a whole person. Yeah. Speaking of, I feel like this is a relevant question. So, what do you think, what, do you, what are you seeing, what's a habit that you notice that's coming into you commonly, where people are coming in with some habit that drives you nuts? Well, there are a lot of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which one? Are you talking about a physical activity habit, eating or sleeping uh, habit? Well, I don't know. I mean, it could be a, uh, just like a mental habit. Like yeah. the habit of telling themselves that they're too injured to ever like live their life. Yeah, Especially so, because you're, you're so mindful about all of that. Right. Too. So the thing that drives me nuts is the 
outsourcing of responsibility mm -hmm. of ourselves. Mm -hmm. Fix me. Yes. Tell me what <laughs> yes. to do. Yes. Tell me what to eat. Um, take, I, I talk a lot about CrossFit. People listen to me a lot about CrossFit because my healthcare professional, I say, yes, you can do it. And I give them guidelines. And the first thing you do when you walk through that gym door is you have to take responsibility for yourself. 100%. Right? Yes. Doesn't matter what the coach is saying or doing. Doesn't matter what the workout is. You take responsibility for yourself. So when I get a patient in and they're like, fix me, I'm like, no. Mm -hmm. We're going to work together as a team Let and get you help, better. Help you help, you help, help yourself. You. <laughs> right. And so I, I mean, it's pervasive throughout our society, but. Um, that that's one that drives me nuts another one that drives me nuts is well i used to be able to do this why can't i do it now mm. well again we age i'm like we get gray hair we get wrinkles our body changes and so if what we used to be able to do may not be what we can do now not because we're hurt but because our body changes with time now we can fight it and we can delay that process but we have to accept some of the changes that happen as we age yeah and actually, this this kind of is a nice segue. We had a question from somebody online that was essentially, are there any type of injuries or problems, specifically in the shoulder, I think this person is referring to, where it's just like there is no coming back or you should expect to have to change your lifestyle? You never say never because there are always anomalies. And so CrossFit is full of anomalies. Just watch the games. Right. and every You can't make generalizations, but... Um, if you have a large rotator cuff tear that necessitates a repair, you go back to doing heavy repeated overhead lifting, you're setting yourself up for some bad long-term damage that can't be fixed well. Mm -hmm. um, if you have bad degenerative arthritis in the shoulder that necessitates a total shoulder replacement, the actual structure of the prosthesis of the total shoulder is not designed to allow you to lift uh, heavy objects, certainly not do repeated overhead work. And so if you can know things about yourself, like I've got a small labrum tear or I have these kinds of issues, if you can kind of temper your activities, you may be able to prevent things, but at the same time, we don't have that crystal ball. But if you've had that rotator cuff surgery, if you know you're on the road to a total shoulder replacement, I, I think you should modify those things. Okay. Mm -hmm. What about something like impingement, uh, specifically in the shoulder, I feel like I see a lot of athletes with impingement in the overhead position, and what frustrates me is when they get frustrated, like we're, you know, we all kind of live in this world of like, well, the only person that can fix it is the athlete, right, in the end. None yeah. of the coach can't do anything, the PT can't do it. You have to follow through on the instructions as the patient. Yeah. So we see impingement a lot. It's impingement simply means uh, tissue is getting pinched between two structures. We get rotator cuff tendonitis because we're doing more with our shoulder than we're typically used to. When you think about the jerks, the overhead bar stuff, the push-ups, and then it gets larger, the inflamed, and then we go into a certain position and you get impingement, you get pain. And it creates this vicious cycle of pain, weakness, loss of motion, disuse, and you have to break the cycle by taking active rest. If you don't do that, if you don't do the rest and the impingement continues for a sustained period of time, then you get fraying in the rotator cuff, mm -hmm. and that's what can turn into a tear. That's what happened to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's why you, athletes hate taking time away from the gym. <laughs> yeah. But the sooner you can get on it, the sooner you can get back. If you keep trying to work through it, that's when I think you can get some long-term consequences. And what are those long-term consequences? I mean, the, the 
fraying, obviously. Right. When, once you hit that point, like what can people do from there? Well, you can't actually correct the tear. And it, it has such poor blood supply. Now, having said that, you can be asymptomatic with a partial rotator cuff tear, or you could have such debilitating pain that you have to go in and get a debridement, an arthroscopic uh -huh. debridement. Which is essentially like scraping it out, right? Yeah, that's mm -hmm. all it is. Trying to give you more space so you right. don't impinge. Mm -hmm. And we can't really predict who's going to be symptomatic and who's not. You have to really go, that's the mindfulness thing, you have to go by how you feel when you're doing an exercise. And I have one rule. If it hurts, don't do it right. or fix it. Right. I hate rules, but that's the one that yeah, is Yeah, I true. love that rule. <laughs> I follow that rule. Uh, so basically if you have impingement it's really important that you let it calm down and do your exercises to try to get your strength endurance and mobility back and then here's the key that i see everyone mess up you have to take baby steps to get back if you think you can get back to your full activity level as before the injury you will fail yeah you have right. to ramp back up <sighs> it's a journey it is a journey it's a health journey yeah i mean i could personally speak to just working with you on my shoulder i mean my ankle most recently my shoulder when i first started crossfit i had a i had a tear from softball yeah. um and i really couldn't do anything overhead at all but i tried anyway mm -hmm. and it made it worse and well i had to completely stop doing anything overhead for months and then as we worked back it was like it was a lot of small plates a lot of bands, a yeah. lot of very tiny exercises, and it was a long process, but now I can actually do a lot of those things, and when it starts to get inflamed again, which it's going to, and it does, I know how to deal with it. Yeah, you, t you part of getting you better is teaching you how to take care of yourself. Yeah, it seems like that's sort of a general theme, is that you like to help the athlete become more sustainable on their own. Empower yeah. people, yeah. So they're not completely reliant on you all the time. Well, you're, you're yeah. building new habits. So how, how does a habit get built slowly and surely? Yeah, and yeah. with positive results, that's, that's the big thing. Is once you can show someone that it works, then um, they're going to be more compliant. That's awesome. So uh, I feel like that answers all of the questions that we have. It, it doesn't at all. I have so many more for you all the time. But um, do you have any questions for us? You know, not a question, but it's almost impossible for me to keep a straight face because my favorite Saturday Night Live skit was the Schwitty Balls. <laughs> and uh, you should see Alicia and Hannah right Schwitty here with balls. this big thing, and that's all I can picture. <laughs> I'm just waiting for you to break out into a skit. Uh, you second. are the Alec Baldwin to our... <laughs> who are the other two people? Us, uh, Cherry O'Terry? Yeah. Better, I don't know, Alec or Betty White with her dusty muffin? Oh, <laughs> yes. Wow. Well, 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 well. We won't go so there. Good. Okay, well, every week we do a challenge of the week, and we offer each other a challenge uh, based on what we talked about for the week. Is, do you have a challenge for us? Sure, but I don't think it's a challenge. I mean, I would love to see both of you meditate for 10 minutes a day for the next week. Well, I, that sounds like yeah, a challenge I'll to me. That. that is going to be really hard for me, and I would love to try. Yes. Yeah, they say everyone should meditate for 10 minutes a day, and if you don't have time, then you should meditate for 30 minutes a day. <laughs> Oh, so gosh, good. dang it. Because you need That's it more. Me. Yeah. yeah, I do need it more. Okay. Yeah. That'll be really good. I also have a very, I love meditation, and I have some sort of practice, but, man, it falls away really quickly. Oh, I have so. zero practice, so this is going to be very good for me. So what's your challenge for me? Oh, shoot. <laughs> Shucks. Okay. Put you on the spot. Yeah, let's, let's think here. Um, as somebody who spends a lot of time on the bike, my challenge for you is... This week, I want you to choose 
three exercises that specifically trigger your low back. <laughs> like arch holds. Oh, okay. Uh, I thought like, you were going to make me deadlift or something. No, 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 no. Like um, glute hamstring okay. holds. Uh, I want you to specifically choose three exercises that, that trigger your low back. Posterior chain. Yep. But specifically your glutes and low back. All right. And I want you to do them three times a week. Challenge accepted. Yes. Okay, excellent. But I want you to do them in, uh, not before you cycle afterwards, okay. in high rep sets. You're like very sets demanding. Of, sets of <laughs> 10 to 15. It'd be quite the challenge. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And just like notice, just tell me what you notice is different about when you're actually cycling based on that. Okay. I can't okay. wait. Cool. Done. Good challenge. Great. All right. Thank you so much for coming, Dr. Wendy Hurd, and thank for, you for introducing us to the Mayo Clinic. Oh, Thank you, Wendy. You're welcome. Thank you for being here. As always, we want to say thank you to our uh, lovely producer, Taj Ruler. Taj is so smart that Mensa called her for advice. <laughs> <laughs> Have a wonderful week, and we'll talk to you next time. See ya. Sulkanacast is produced by Taj Ruler. Subscribe on iTunes or visit sulkanacast.libsim.com. That's L-I-B-S-Y-M dot com for full episode information. You can also visit our website at sulkanafitness.com to stay up to date on everything health and fitness. Join in on the conversation over on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Sulkana CrossFit. See you there.